This is a message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. For other sermons from Antioch, you can visit the church website at antiochchurchnc.org. Now, let's turn our hearts to the Word of God. verses 7 through 11 and 19 through 26. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zorah the Hittite, east of Mamre. The field that Abraham had purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Beer Lahairoi. And now in verse 19 through 26. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he told Rebekah, took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethul, of the, the Aramean, of Padan Aram, the, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife, because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The, the older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. Amen. Behold our God seated on the throne. Welcome this morning to Antioch, all of you who are with us physically present in this room and those who are with us virtually, however that works. So if, if you are new this morning and you're going to think you might come back even, we're going to be in Genesis, in Genesis for another seven or eight months. So there are Genesis journals. I think there's still some on the Cubins out there. So if you go to the foyer, take a left, see the table there. There are Genesis journals. Basically, it's the text on one side and a blank page on the other. You can take notes on. So if you'd like one of those, you can even slip out and go get one right now. So we've been walking with Abraham for a long time now, haven't we? And today we read about his death. And I love the way the Bible says it, at a good old age of 175. He was an old man and full of years. I like that phrase too, full of of years. You know, and I saw that, it reminded me of a young man who had stopped weeding the flower beds anymore. And when asked why, he said, I'm full up with work. You know, Abraham was full up with years, and he died. But notice the language Moses uses here. Abraham, verse 8, died and was gathered to his people. God had said to Abraham in chapter 15, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. When you're full up with life on this side of the veil, saints, 
then you're just going to cross over to the other side of the veil where you will never, ever, ever again be full up with life. <laughs> life will be full from then uh, until, until no, no time, right? No, eternity doesn't stop. So we'll also, we will go to our fathers in peace. We will be gathered to our people because God is God of the living, not the dead. So Abraham was dead. Now think about that. Father Abraham, 175 years old, and he had been Father Abraham for the people of Israel and, and will always be that. What an amazing man he was. But at the same time, as amazing as Abraham was, he was not indispensable to God's purpose and plan. God's unstoppable purpose, God's unstoppable plan does not depend on a man, any man. And it will continue till eternity. And so we're thankful for that. But Abraham, by faith in the Lord, had died, had gone home to be with God. And Isaac and Ishmael, you see that? Isaac and Ishmael, the two brothers who maybe didn't get along very well in the early days, and Ishmael was sent out, get out of here. And he's become a father of a great nation himself and has raised sons, is raising sons. But Isaac and Ishmael come together to bury their father. It just occurs to me, and Jacob and Esau will do the same one day for Isaac. It just occurs to me that funerals should at least be the place where families can come together and be reconciled. But, but why wait till the funeral, right? Why wait, why wait till the patriarch or the matriarch dies before the family says, all right, let's lay down our swords and our shields and, and let's come together and be one with one another. But that's what happens here. The two sons bury their father with his wife, Sarah, in the cave of Machpelah. So the promise continues. As we see in verse 11, God blessed Isaac, his son. All the promises made in Abraham now go directly to the son of promise, to Isaac. None of them were null and void. Everything, all the promises in the Old Testament were yes in God through Abraham. And of course, we know that all the promises now are yes in who? In Jesus, in Christ Jesus. Paul talks about that in, I believe, it's 2 Corinthians. And you'll notice that Isaac and Rebekah, if you, have, if you flipped ahead and looked at the next few chapters, you notice that Isaac and Rebekah are almost a transitional generation, right? We're going to move from Abraham, lots of Abraham, to a little bit of Isaac and Rebekah, and then a lot of Jacob, and then a lot of Joseph. Now, God and his economy decided to do it that way, but it does not mean that Isaac is not important, right? Isaac is mentioned so many times in Scripture. One of the most oft-repeated phrases in the Bible is this. He is the God of Abraham, finish it. There you go. And a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In fact, that's how God introduced himself to Moses at the burning bush. He said, this is who I am. You want to know who I am? I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And I love that, your father and the, the patriarchs. And guys, you could say the same thing, right? You kids in here who are in a Christian family, you could say, he's the God of my father and of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Your generation is connected to all the generations of believers all the way back to the patriarchs, and even beyond that, to Adam and to Seth. Well, Jesus was asked one time also why he would commend a Gentile centurion. Remember, he said, wow, this is, this, I've never, I, I haven't seen this kind of faith in Israel. And they were amazed at that. He said, I tell you, many will come from east and west, that's us, 
and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. You see what Jesus is saying there? He's saying your, your world is too small if you're just seeing this as something for the Jews. No, no, no. Many will come from the West. Gentile believers will come, and they will be seated with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom. And that includes us. So that's the prologue. Uh, not to minimize Abraham's death. It's important. But let's move on to the rest of the story here, the next part of the story. Let's look at verses 19 through 26 under these main points. A husband's prayer, a mother's request, and twin boys. Isaac's 40 years old when he married Rebecca. Remember that? He's 40 years old. And how old is he when he, they have, finally have children? 60. He's 60 years old when his twins were born. So for 20 years, Rebecca was barren. And Moses gives a very brief synopsis of that struggle, doesn't he? He just says, you know, Isaac and Rebekah were not able to have children. They, they, were, they were not able to greet the, the one through whom God would continue the blessing. We know Isaac's not the end. The blessing's going to continue. God's not going to stop with Isaac. And so where's this one coming from? You know, that, that waiting was, was a long time, 20 years. Now, that waiting was also not without action. What did Isaac do during those 20 years? Besides taking care of his flocks and herds, of which he had many, because his father had had many, what did he do for 20 years? Well, I think he prayed. I think he had prayer that grew stronger day by day, that sprang from faith year by year. Remember when people asked Jesus, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And they thought he'd say, oh, sail the seas and become a missionary. Do something really hard. He said, uh, here it is. This is the work of God. Do you believe in him whom he has sent? You want to do the work of God? Believe and have faith, and from that faith will issue prayer and also good works that bring glory to God. So Isaac prayed. He was a man of prayer, and he prayed for 20 long years for his wife to conceive. You know, it occurs to me, some in today's world, many, sadly, in today's world would say, what was the big deal that Isaac and Rebekah couldn't have children? I mean, we have too many people in the world anyway, right? Others will say, and I've even heard this recently in the Gen X generation, the world is dark and the world is evil. Why? Why would I want to bring children into this dark world? You need to know how to answer that, folks. I'm going to tell you how you can answer it. With your own children, your grandchildren, and the world around us. I answer with a psalmist first, both questions. Uh, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. This is why we want to have children, because they're a blessing from God. Why will we deny God the blessing he wants to give us? And secondly, yes, the world's dark. And that's why Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Right? It's like telling a guy who's complaining about the darkness, he's got a, hand, a candle in his hand, he's complaining about how dark it is, and you say, why don't you light the candle? He said, no, no, the world's so dark. I mean, what's one candle going to do? Children who come into a Christian home and are, betra are trained to follow Jesus will, will one day, by God's grace, if he allows, will become Christians, and therefore they will be what? Lights in a dark place. Listen, if Christians aren't having children, we're in trouble. 
I mean, God's got it. I mean, God's not in trouble. He's got this. But this, this, is, this is part of the, part of the wrong uh, worldview, wrong theology, wrong thinking. In fact, I would, be, I would be so bold to say that having children is not only an act of faith in a mighty God, but if you're able to have children, it's an act of obedience to our God who gives good gifts. Now, I know that some can't have children, and for them, you know, if God chooses to heal them as he did Rebecca, then praise the Lord. But if not, then that's his choice. All right, let me, let me stop meddling and get back to preaching. Isaac's work of God was to believe, right? And because he believed, he prayed with and for his wife. How many times did Isaac ask in faith that God would let his wife conceive and have children? We're not told, are we? We don't know. But maybe, and it occurs to me that maybe his father said to him at one time, you know, Isaac, God told me to pray for the household of Abimelech because he had made the women in that household barren. And God asked me to pray for the women in that household that God would heal them so they wouldn't be barren. And I did, and he healed them, and they had children. And you know what, Isaac? And I'm, I'm making this all up. You know what, Isaac, it occurs to me that I prayed for those women in that household. I didn't pray for your mom. I mean, God's gonna, he was going to heal your mom when she was 91 and let her conceive. But, man, why didn't I pray for her then that he would open her womb? Now, none of that may have ever happened. But somehow, Isaac knew. He had a theology. He had an understanding of how the world works that, that conception is God's idea. And when a woman can't conceive, it's God who can make that happen if he chooses to do so. And so he went to the Lord, and he prayed. And if he started praying when they got married, and he prayed every day until she con conceived as, and he, when he was 60, he prayed at least 7,000 times that Rebecca would conceive. And can you imagine the joy of that family? when they were holding that baby for the first time, or those babies. In fact, the, the verb in verse 21 for prayed is used by Moses multiple times as, as pleaded. When you look at Exodus in the plagues, Exodus 8, etc., you'll see the word there is pleaded. He pled with the Lord, pleaded. It's the same word. Isaac pleaded with God. There's an emotional component here. God, I know, I know you can do this. My wife wants to have children. I want to have children. Lord, please heal and deliver from this. And may I say what you've heard from me and Scott and other elders who've taught on this. One of the most important works of being a husband is to pray. Listen, guys, to pray with and for your wife. A lot of guys say, well, I pray for my wife. I mean, in my, you know, my prayer time, I just pray to myself and you know, I ask God to bless my wife. But, but do you pray for? Do you pray with her? Do you pray out loud over her? I bet you Isaac, I bet you he prayed out loud over his wife multiple times. Remember, he was a man of meditation. The first time we see Isaac, he's where? He's in the field. What's he doing? He's meditating. And he sees his wife. And she sees him, right? He was a man of faith. He was a man who believed in God. And he was talking to God. I believe he talked to God out loud in front of Rebecca and asked God to pray and keep praying don't give up what are you praying whatever you're praying for your wife or your children 
for this church or for the community, for lost people, whatever. Keep going, keep going, right? Jesus said, knock on the door till it opens. Ask until you get an answer. Seek until you find, right? And so prayer should be that way, and that's exactly what we see in Isaac. God did the same thing for Rebekah that he did for the mothers of Jacob. Well, that is Rebekah. Isaac, Joseph, and Samuel. All four of those men, their, their mothers were barren until God healed them. Very important men of God whose mothers were barren. But let's acknowledge that every child, every single one, is what? A gift from God. And God gives good gifts. That leads us to a mother's request, verses 22 and 23. So the struggle, this is what's happening here, the struggle that will continue for much of their lives began for Jacob and Esau in the womb. I mean, the joy of being pregnant was to overtaken or threatened to be overtaken by this struggle that was taking place inside of Rebecca. She didn't know what was going on. The Bible says the children struggled together within her. The word struggled in verse 22 means to break. Do kids ever do that? To break down, to oppress, to treat violently. It could be translated the children smashed themselves together within her. Now, these boys were slugging it out in the womb, and Rebecca had no idea that she had twins. She didn't know what was going on. She'd never been pregnant before. And so she had the age-old question, didn't she? You see that in the text? Why is this happening to me? You ever ask that, ladies, men? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening? And why is this happening to me? Look, questions uh, asking why is human. Why? Because God's ways are higher. God's thoughts are higher. Ours, therefore, are necessarily what? Lower. We don't understand. And it's okay. It's good to ask why if you're asking in faith. God, I believe you. I trust you. You're a good God. You do good things. But can you, you mind telling me why this is happening? And you know what? Sometimes God will. A lot of times God will not. And you just have to trust him. As they say, trust his, his heart, even if you can't see his, his hand. But I like Rebecca's attitude here, the spirit of request. It says, the verse says, she went to inquire of the Lord. She didn't go to other women. She didn't go to her husband even. She said, Lord, you know what's happening here. Would you help me? There's no better place to inquire than to go to the Lord. And the response is an oracle from God. God gives an oracle to Rebecca. We've seen him give oracles to Abraham and others, and he does that for Rebecca here. It's the first mention of twins, and God tells her two important truths about her children that will be worked out in their lives over many years. He says, first, they will be divided. The struggle between Jacob and Esau, these two nations, he, he's saying, hey, Rebecca, you're not just having two sons, you're having two nations, and they will be divided. But don't worry, it's okay that's my plan. That's my purpose. God's purpose would not be uh, in any way hindered by the division that will come between these two. The second thing we see here is that the natural order of things will be reversed. He says the older will serve the younger. That's not the way it happened in Jewish culture. The older son, remember, he got twice as much as the rest as far as the inheritance. This is a pattern we've already seen, haven't we? Right? Who was the oldest of Adam? What was his name? 
Adam's oldest boy, Cain. What was his brother's name? Who was the chosen one? Who was blessed by God? Abel. Abel was killed by Cain. Who took Abel's place? Not Cain. Seth, right? We've seen it with Isaac. Ishmael was the older, but Isaac is the chosen one. You know, even in this parable of the prodigal son, Jesus tells us, it's the younger brother who ends up repenting and serving his father, and the older brother remains in his, his pride. Now, does that mean that older children don't have a hope, don't have a chance? Some of you are wondering about that, right? My wife, Jennifer Holmes, others. Yes, God blesses all of us with grace when we come to him by faith, which we can only do if he gives us that faith in the first place. But yes, yeah, so, but in this, in this case, God is setting a precedent here that, that my grace does not depend on birth order. My grace does not depend on wealth or intelligence or station in life or anything else. In fact, I like what Ken Hughes says, is that tradition does not determine grace. Convention does not dictate grace. Neither does giftedness or natural endowments. Grace does not bow to social privilege or status. That's why they call it grace, right? Because grace is not something you earn or something you can acquire uh, because of your own actions or your own deeds. Grace is something God gives, and he gives it freely. Well, let's look at the last point and these twin boys. It's the first mention, as I said, of multiple births, first mention of, in this case, twins. Are these twin boys identical? That's a strong no. Not even close. Esau came out red. The narrator says his body like a hairy cloak. Just get that image in your mind. They, they could have named him Harry, but they didn't speak English, so they named him Esau because Esau is the Hebrew word for Harry. And he also had a nickname, we'll see that next week, where he was also called Edom. And that's not because he liked to eat in times when it was less important to eat and more important to guard your birthright, but because Edom means red. So he's a hairy red guy. Think about this. He was named after what he looked like when he was first born. Ugh, aren't you glad your parents didn't do that to you? Right, what they used to say, everybody, every newborn baby looks like a bulldog or Winston Churchill. And, you know, that's just, never mind, we'll just keep going. So the hairy red guy is the firstborn. He's going to be tormented even by his younger brother in the womb, right? So Jacob comes out holding on to Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob because it does mean heel grabber. But think about that. What if you're named after the way you came out of the womb? I mean, it's a good thing you wasn't breach. Jacob means he takes by the heel. Now, that was the proper dictionary definition, but there was also some urban and legend and uh, what do you call vernacular definitions of Jacob in those days. Like one of them, a complimentary one, the only nice one I could find. Is Jacob here? I don't see Jacob. He's back. Oh, there he is. Okay, good. A, ni a nice one was, may God be your rear guard. I'd go with that one, Jacob, right? When people ask you, what's your name mean, Jacob? Don't say heel grabber. <laughs> this may God be your rear guard, guard right? He's he's he got my back, so go with that one. 
But the other slang meanings were not so good. They fit Jacob perfectly for the next 70 years of his life until the great championship wrestling match that will take place in chapter 32. What was his character like that before that wrestling match with God? Well, one guy said it like this. You know, he's, he's the kind of guy who follows you into a revolving door and comes out ahead of you, right? That was, that was Jacob. Most of his life, Jacob was a cheat. He was a supplanter, someone who seizes, someone who circumvents, someone who usurps, okay? It just reminds me of Putin, right? The guy in Russia, he's, he's, a, he's a supplanter. Jacob was a supplanter, especially in his relationship with Esau. But it's a brotherhood that will start with deception and it will end with reconciliation. We'll see that down the road. I like what Hosea wrote about Jacob in uh, Hosea 12, 12. It says, in the womb he took his brother by the heel and in his manhood he strove with God. He strove with God and God's going to even change his name. You'll see that on December 11th. We, we look at that chapter. So what can we take home from this passage? First of all, children are blessings, not burdens. Amen? Everybody said amen. Second, men are privileged to pray with and for their wives. And God hears your prayers, guys. No one has more authority to pray for your wife and your children on the planet than you do. No one. There's no one who has God's ear more when it comes to praying for your wife and your children than you do. Third, we can inquire of the Lord and ask for wisdom because he gives generously to all without approach. But we need to pray without what? Pray without doubting, James 1. Let's pray now. Father, we're thankful for Jacob and Esau, thankful for Abraham's heritage, Isaac's life, and now Jacob and Esau as they come along, and we'll look at them later. But we're thankful for uh, the continuing story of God's amazing grace as you've shown it to our forebears, our forefathers. And we look forward to seeing continue to see how you're going to show it to us day by day. And Lord, we can't even begin, begin to imagine uh, the amount of grace that you pour out on us every day and the amount that we kind of let roll off and, and, and not pick up. So Lord, help us to walk in your grace and, and in faith. Help us to be men and women of prayer, uh, that our faith in you will, will move us to pray and pray with faith and, see, and not cease praying, but pray without ceasing for our husband, for our wives, for our children. Uh, for the lost people around us, for this church, and for uh, your will to be done and your kingdom to come. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. Antioch meets every Sunday for worship at 10 o'clock a.m. at 1600 Powerline Road in Elon. You can download other messages by Pastor Fox at antiochchurch.cc. You can also learn how to order his books or subscribe to his blog at jmarkfox.com.